0: Well, welcome back to the series, Elements, as we said earlier. uh, If you're new, the way we do sermons here is we will pick a topic or a book of the Bible, and we will talk about it for a number of weeks, uh, hopefully not too many, so that I run out of things to say and you get tired of hearing about it. But after we talk about it for a while, we will switch to something else. And right now what we're uh, talking about in this particular series is a list of traits that is mentioned by the Apostle Paul called the Fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit are a list of character traits, behaviors, attitudes, that for those of us who are Christians, who are believers, and who have the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us, these things should be a natural part of our life. They are a foundational uh, part of how we live and behave. They are elemental to who we are. Now, the fruit of the Spirit are found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's read this together like we have so far. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm going to start putting blanks up there one of these weeks just to see if we can uh, figure it out as we go. Now, the reason why I want us to to learn these things, uh, and at least want you to know that list by the time we're done, is because if you say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a believer, this list is a very good list where you can look at yourself and kind of run a self-diagnostic. You know, if you say, I'm a believer and all of these things are supposed to be a part of my life, then how loving am I? How, how much peace do I really feel in my life? How joyful of a person am I? Would my family and friends say that I'm kind or self-controlled? And so you can kind of look at your life and just say, am I really walking in step with the Spirit or something else going on? And so if you walk away after this series at least knowing that much, I'll, I'll call that a win. Now, as we go through this series, we've, we're going to tackle one fruit each week. We've done love, we've done joy, and so this week we are looking at peace. Now, um, let me just say this. There are some of these fruit that I am totally unqualified to talk about, and this is one of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I am terrible. I stink at living peace, a peaceful life in, in some aspects, um, And you know, the beauty of being a preacher is that my calling is not to stand up here and tell you all of my good ideas and my good advice or to sit up here and talk about all the ways that I excel. Uh, No, that is not my calling. My calling is to stand up here as a human being and hopefully teach the Word of God and what God says. And so that means I don't have to talk about what I'm good at. I can talk about what God says and the standard we are all called to, whether I'm reaching that or not. And so I'm going to stand up here humbly today and say, a lot of the things I'm going to say, I'm falling so far short of that bar, and I want to be better. I want to be more in step with the Spirit. So uh, I'm not always the most peaceful person. But when you talk about peace, it's kind of hard uh, to wrap your brain around, because when you look at Scripture, peace is this ridiculously huge theme in Scripture, and there's so many facets to it. There's so many sides to what peace can mean. It's not just peace like you think, oh... A deep breath after a hard day. It's not sinking into your recliner after a busy week. It's not um, the, the week after Christmas after all the hectic stuff is done. That's not necessarily all peace is. Peace is not necessarily even the end of hostilities after a war. It's not just that. It's those things and so much more. The biblical idea of peace is all things being restored to their rightful place. God's idea of peace is a complete restoration of all things to the way that they should be. And so when you look at it in that term, you can see how peace can be this really, really big thing. And, you know, like uh, at the end of every day, uh, after my kids are in bed, either myself, my wife, or both of us will go through our house and try to restore peace, that kind of peace to our home. Uh, The Old Testament word for this is the Hebrew word shalom. You've probably heard the word shalom. Shalom means God restoring peace and er, er, restoring things in the way they should be. And when things are the way God planned them to be, there is peace. And so as we go through our house every night and kind of put away the toys where they go, we Pick up the sippy cup that's behind the couch because, of course, why wouldn't you keep your cup behind the couch where it's easily accessible? Um, We find random gross things and we clean up messes and wipe down things and put it all away. We are restoring things to the way that we want them to be. That's the idea that God hopes to restore all things to the way they should be. That our life is not always all that he intended it to be and he wants more for us. And so shalom, it means that all your relationships are whole. Shalom means that all your dangers in life are removed, all fears are defeated, that everything is as God wishes it for you. And when everything is as God uh, intends it to be, there is no hostility, there's no fear, there's nothing to be anxious about, there's nothing but peace, nothing but shalom. That's God's hope for you and for me. But since shalom, again, is such a big idea, I could pick a lot of different things to hone in on and talk about, um, but I had to pick one. And so today, for the sake of time, what I want to talk about is your personal sense of peace, your feeling of peace with what is happening in your life. And the reason I picked that one is because as I just kind of watch people and pay attention and talk with everybody who's just living a normal human life, I think all of us crave peace, but so few of us have it. I think this is one that we we know we want more of, and we know we're missing it on some level, and we just can't quite seem to grasp Peace. And I think one of the reasons, not the, all of the reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is, excuse me, is because we are living in such a frantic, hectic, overpacked time. Uh, we are overstretched and our calendars are overfilled. And I think that's just a sign of the times. Everybody, how you doing? Busy. That's all we talk about, how busy we are. What did you do yesterday? And you could give me a list of things. In fact, you probably did so many things yesterday, you probably can't even remember all of the things that you did because that's just how we live our lives. But even more than that, I want to I go a little deeper to the, because, to the, I mean, peace in those aspects can be helped with a vacation. I want to talk about the moments when life throws those painful things, those difficult circumstances your way, those moments that just seem overwhelming. And overwhelming is the word I want to use because sometimes life tosses you something that is so frightening and so scary and so painful, you feel like you are totally going to get overwhelmed. You feel like you're standing at the foot of a tsunami and and there's nothing you can do. You feel like you're in a sinking boat and all you have to bail out water with is a thimble and there's no way your work, your effort is ever going to be enough to take care of this situation that is going to come your way. Whether that be a bad diagnosis from your doctor, or the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, or or someone in your family gets really sick. And you get to these situations where you just feel like there's nothing you can do. And in those situations, it is so incredibly difficult to feel a sense of peace. And for most of us, we probably think that in those moments, peace is something that is impossible. Those moments absolutely rob us of our peace, and it's ludicrous to even think that we could ever have peace in our life. But believe it or not, this fruit of the Spirit that is talked about, and the way the Bible talks about this kind of peace, is that it is possible for us to have at all times, in all situations. And I think many of us miss that because our lives are just... We're just so overwhelmed and we're dealing with so many things that we never have a chance sometimes to lean into this. And, and when you see somebody who's in a, a crazy place, a, a painful place, have peace, we almost think they're weird. We almost think, well, they're in denial. I mean, they, I mean it's clearly their life is a mess and they just aren't recognizing it. But that's not always the case. There is something more going on here. And so uh, I want to ask, and this will seem a little off-topic, but I'll come back around, we'll get there. Uh, How many of you have siblings? How many of you have siblings? Okay, a lot of you. How many of you fought with those siblings? And Okay, now, before you raise your hand, let me say this. Not just a, well, no, you're ugly, but I mean like it got physical on a semi-regular basis. Yeah, okay, so a few of us can understand this. I was the little brother growing up, and... If you are, any little brothers in the room? Yeah, yeah, okay. There's a gene that exists in little brothers, and we just cannot stop picking fights. I have no idea what it is, but it's like, oh, there's my older brother. I wonder how mad I can make him in the next three seconds. Like, that's just in us, and we can't help it. And so, my brother, I was always picking fights with him, fights that I could never, ever win, because my brother is 11 years older than me. So when I'm eight, my brother is 19. Like, I don't know. It makes no sense. My parents probably looked at me and, like, I think there's something wrong with him. Like, that poor kid just ain't bright. Because I just, uh, I mean, my my brother and my dad, my dad wouldn't even do anything after a while. He would just look at me like, man, you're asking for it. It's like, I (laughs) know. And I would just die, you know. And so I would, like, snap my brother with a towel or, like, run by and slap him in the face or throw something at him, you know. And inevitably, I would find myself in some sort of uh, headlock where I can't really breathe. Or the ever so famous stop hitting yourself. Okay, I got that a few times. But my brother's favorite was he would lay me, get me on my back, and he would put one hand on my knee and the other on my ankle and hold my leg straight and then just start bringing my foot toward my head so that it felt like my hamstring was just going to snap like an overstretched rubber band. And in that moment there was like there's always that moment where you're like, "Oh, I think I'm uh, I think I'm a little outmatched here." Like I didn't know that going into it. I don't know why I had to relearn it, but there's always that moment where I realize, "I'm stuck. I'm in pain. I can't go anywhere." And so my only choice was what? Yeah. Give. Uncle. Mom. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. let me stay, let me take a step back before I get to mom, okay? <laughs> my only choice was surrender. Okay? Either I would say, uncle, or you're the most awesome brother in the whole world, or whatever he was making me say to find freedom. Or if I didn't want to say what he wanted me to say, you know what I mean by brothers making you declare how great they are before they'll let you go. If I didn't want to do that, then I would just yell, mom! And and she would get so sick of me making a racket that she would say, you knock it off in there, you let him go, and she'd start screaming, and he'd be like, and he'd walk away. But either way, it was surrender. I never, I never picked a fight with my brother that I won. Never did it ever go well for me. My losing streak, I have a perfect losing streak in fights against my brother. And my only option was just to to give up and surrender. Now, believe it or not, if we hope to have peace, find peace in our life, surrender is the key to peace. And that seems so counterintuitive because we think the way to peace is to win, the way to peace is to defeat whatever it is that's coming up against you. Surrender is defeat. Surrender is, is giving up. But I think that surrender is inevitably, in almost every aspect of shalom, surrender is the key to that peace. And I can't go into all the topics. I'm hoping, hopefully going to talk about one of them uh, in a, a Sermon Leftover video that I'll put on Facebook this week. But our response normally to life is not surrender. Our our response normally when life makes us feel powerless is that rather than give in to that feeling of powerlessness, we want to fight to gain some sort of control. And so we, rather than give up in moments when life is bigger than us, oftentimes we will put on our, our, our boxing gloves and we're ready to, to start fighting and, and we get all excited and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really pull off a miracle here. And maybe you're, you're up against something like a bad diagnosis and sometimes I've seen people and they will, they will go and they will look up uh, diets and they'll talk to every doctor imaginable and they're, they're willing to try every treatment possible and let me just say this, that's not bad. Okay, that's not a bad thing to try to treat this illness that's going on inside of you. But what I see for a lot of people is that that pursuit is is motivated by fear. And fear, where there is fear, there is not shalom. And so we get our dukes and we're going to fight this and we're going to gain some kind of control. And we live with this tiny way of hope that maybe we're going to pull off a David versus Goliath type miracle. And and even in this insurmountable odds, we're going to win by the, the sweat of our brow and by our own effort. Or if you're up against something like losing a loved one, where there is, I mean, there's really no hope of beating that situation, the way we fight is we get mad at God. And since we got nothing else to fight since we can't bring our loved ones back or undo whatever situation it is we just decide fine it's god's fault he can do anything so i'm just going to be mad at him and and we kind of spend our time going back and forth between prayers of begging god to undo it and then if that when that doesn't happen then we just start unloading on him how dare you why would you take them from me why would you allow them to get sick why would you god you're so mean you're so hateful I'm an ant, and you're just the mean boy holding the magnifying glass, frying me on the sidewalk, and we get angry at God, and where there is anger, there is no peace. There is no shalom. And so surrender is so counterintuitive to the way we live our lives, and I don't know if it's an American thing or just a human thing. I mean, Americans, like, I don't we, we win. That's just kind of what we do. We were, America's always been awesome, and we don't like to be losers at anything, and, uh, you know, unless you're the little brother who, lost a lot of fights, it's not really that great to be a loser, and I noticed with my oldest son, everything is a competition, and he just wants to win, and my younger son, he doesn't care, because he never wins anything, so it's hard to learn this, okay, so I don't know if this is a, an American thing, or just an us thing, a people thing, but we don't like to lose, and we want, we'd rather fight something that we have no chance of winning than giving up, and, and admitting surrender, and admitting what, what feels like us, defeat, but I don't want you to think of surrender as defeat, because I don't think that's what it is at all. Because, you know, when there's a moment when life is bigger than you, you when you surrender, you are surrendering to the fact that you can't do anything. You are humbly surrendering to the fact that life is more than you can handle. So you yes, you are surrendering to that, but you're not just surrendering to that. You are also surrendering to the fact that though you can do nothing, there is one who has power when you are powerless. That Though your situation is bigger than you, you are surrendering to the fact that there is one who is even bigger than your situation, and it is our Heavenly Father. And that is the type of surrender that we're talking about. Rather than trying to take the situation and just wrestle it into submission, we humbly surrender it up to God's hands and say God this is beyond me I can't do this I can't handle this rather than feeling fear and anxiety and, and anger and rage and all of those things about how we've been dealt a bad hand we surrender to our heavenly father and we trust that he is good he loves us he wants the best for us and he can handle things in ways that we never ever could In the book of Philippians, we were in Philippians last week talking about joy, but there is an amazing little tidbit that we can learn about peace here. Philippians chapter 4, starts in verse 5. And I just love the way it starts. It says, the Lord is near. Whoops, I think I I, uh, missed us here. Sorry about that. The Lord is near. And it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God because the Lord is near we can take things to him we do not need to be anxious we do not need to be wrestling with fear and the anxieties and the things that naturally mount up and that we're naturally going to feel when life gets bigger than us it is normal to feel those things says, but because the Lord is near, by prayer and petition, we can present our things to God. So we turn our anxieties into prayers. We turn our fears into prayers. We take whatever we can to him and we surrender them to the one who can handle it because we can't and so surrender it is not defeat it is a humble acknowledgement that life is bigger than me but I have a God who has promised to take care of me and every situation in my life the ones I love I don't know if you ever think about this because I'll just go to the thing that that makes me really bad at this I was talking with my mother-in-law Janet here last night Uh, we love our kids and are constantly fearing that something bad is going to happen to them am I the only one there okay I mean, no. Like, I mean, it is stupid. I, I, sometimes I think, is something wrong with me? I can fabricate all of the horrible things that can happen to my kids all the time, just rattling around in my brain, and it drives me nuts, okay? But here's the th- something that, that is hard for me to admit, uh, uh, to trust, I guess, to surrender and trust. You know that God loves my kids way more than I do? You know that God has loved my kids before I even had my kids? God made my kids, He knew their day of birth, and their day of death, before I even was born. He cares for them more intimately than I ever could, and he has more power to take care of them than I will ever have. So why would I not? It makes no sense, logical sense, if I believe that God is good, and I believe all these things, it makes no sense for me not to give my kids and trust my kids into his hands. But I don't want to do it because I, w- I want control over my kids' lives. I want to take care of my kids, and I want to make sure that they are around and safe every possible moment of every day. And, but, but, and that, that steals my peace, because I'm always, always wanting to hoard that rather than surrender my kids up to my Heavenly Father. And so we can turn, because He is near, and because He is good, we can turn everything to Him. And when we turn those things to Him, here's what it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Meaning that when things happen in your life that want to cause your heart to freak out and crumble, the peace of God, when you surrender things to Him, when you trust everything to Him, that peace will somehow guard your heart. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can you have peace in those situations? That's exactly what it's saying here. The peace that goes way beyond any sense. The peace that doesn't even, doesn't even make sense in those moments. A peace of God that you should not be feeling when you're faced with that kind of a diagnosis. A peace of God that you should not feel when you lose someone you love. A peace that is, that is there even when things are horrible. It doesn't make sense to feel that kind of peace. But maybe you have met people who were like that. Uh, a little over a year ago, my sister-in-law's dad passed away. And it was really unexpectedly. He was a great guy. He was my uh, my mechanic all through my driving years when I lived in Fairfield. Super nice guy. I knew him a lot. He was one of those guys um, that just, you meet him, he's stern, had the flat-top haircut, you know, probably since the day he was born, just but real stern, very serious. And then my sister-in-law had had a baby, and you put that baby in his lap, and blah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And you're like, who is this man, right? He was just a really cool guy. And one day, he uh, he went... He had, his, had a day off and he went to the chiropractor and got adjusted, got out to his car and just didn't feel right and called them and said, hey, you guys got to come out here. I'm in my car and something's wrong. And he didn't may even hardly make it. Like he made it to the hospital, but he didn't make it through the end of the day. And it was so unexpected. And, and I went to that funeral. And I, I've told you this before, but I've been to funerals where there was no hope. And they are dismal places to be. But I went to this funeral, and you're walking through the line, and I'm walking up with my sister in law who I've known for years and i'm I know she's got to be heartbroken and her her mother's got to be heartbroken and I go through the line, and I was like, "I'm so sorry for what for for what happened. I'm so sorry that you lost him and and they just said, "You know what it's okay, God's got him, and God's going to take care of us and It's not that there weren't tears, and it's not that there wasn't hurt, but there was a peace and i remember walking through that line, and I was like <laughs> that was that was weird. I mean, because it was almost like as I'm like, I was like so nervous going through the line. You know how you feel when you go through a funeral line. You're like, what am I going to say? Nothing I say is going to make any difference. And I walked away feeling better than when I walked in there. And I was like, this was unusual. I'd never ha- I don't have this a lot when I go to funerals. What's happening here? And it was just, they both had such a deep and strong trust and faith in God that even in that moment where they lost someone they deeply loved, they knew it's okay, God's got them. God's got them he had faith in Christ and you know god knew Jerry long before they got he married June and long before Annette came along god god's got this and they just had that deep trust and again it doesn't remove the the pain but it takes away fear and anxiety and anger and all of those things that make you just want to pull your dukes out and fight with life and beat your hands against the wind which is going to do no good because life is often bigger than us but it is not bigger than your heavenly father and it is possible to have peace in those moments. And, and I stand up here having no right to talk about this. And I stand up here trusting, hoping, and praying that those verses are true. Because I'm terrible at surrendering stuff to God and feeling that type of peace at times. I've told you the story of uh, Horatio Spafford. Maybe you don't remember it, but... Um, I'll tell it again, Horatio Spafford, he he lived back in the mid to late 1800s, and he was a lawyer and a real estate guy in Chicago. Bought a lot of real estate and kind of made his money with real estate. Uh, And him and his wife, I think her name was Anna Spafford, uh, they had some children, and one of their sons died of scarlet fever. And soon after their son died of scarlet fever, the Great Chicago Fire started and burned through so much of that city, and all of the real estate that he had invested in was gone. And so while he's mourning the loss of his son, he lost all, almost all material possessions that he had. He's a husband, and he's got a family to take care of, and um, he w- they were just a mess, as anybody would be. And um, they were friends with D.L. Moody. If you ever heard of D.L. Moody, he was a preacher and evangelist. And D.L. Moody said, hey, I'm, I'm doing a preaching stint in England. Why don't you and your family come over here Hang out with me for a little bit. Take a vacation. You need a change of scenery. You need a break from life, and and just take take a breather. And so they had plans, bought their tickets. We're going to get on a boat, go to England. And uh, at the last minute, some kind of business came up. And so he said to his wife and his four daughters, said, "You go ahead. I'll try to catch the boat, the next possible boat." And he went into his business, and he got a telegram saying that the ship that they were on had sank. It was one of the biggest disasters ship-wise, next to the Titanic. We've just never heard of it because the Titanic was such a big deal. And the ship went down, and he gets a telegram from his wife that just says, Survived alone, what shall I do? And he gets on the next boat and races to his wife in England. And uh, as he's on the boat, um, one night the ship captain comes and gets him and says, Just so you know, we are passing over the, the last wreck where your daughters passed away. And he went down into his cabin, knowing that he was sailing over this place where his four daughters had died. And he gets in his journal, and he writes, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And that seems so ludicrous to us. It just seems, how could somebody write those words that, God, you've taught me, even in this, to say it is well with my with my soul. Even in this misery, in this agony, he just lost a son, he lost everything he owned, and now he lost his four daughters. And he went on to have two other kids, and he lost one of those sons to scarlet fever. I mean, his life was marked by tragedy, and yet he wrote this hymn of the same name that we know so well, it is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, God taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And maybe you're like me, and you kind of read that stuff, and you say, that's really nice And it's nice to have that that verse on a mug about peace that surpasses understanding. But man, I don't even know if that's possible in my life. And I understand that. And that's why these are called fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of your hard work, meaning that there's not some way you're just gonna figure this out one day. We can have this kind of peace by daily praying, dear Lord, help me to trust you enough to surrender. Heavenly Father, let your Holy Spirit give me the strength to be humble enough and let go of the problems that are too big for me to handle and to trust them into your capable hands. This is not something we will do on our own. This is a spirit produced kind of peace. And though I don't have it as much as I want it, I do want it. I crave it. I don't want to worry about my kids. I don't want to have anxiety about what my future will hold. I want to know and I want to stand firmly on the truth that God is the capable heavenly father who loves me who wants the best for me who wants me to spend eternity with him who wants he wants my kids to spend eternity with him he wants my wife and my whole family to spend eternity with him and he i want to trust in every bit of that truth so that i can feel the peace that doesn't make any sense and i want you to feel that too But again, you're not going to white-knuckle your way there. It's not something you're going to practice. This isn't some sort of self-help, three easy steps. This is a daily attempt to pray to God, help me surrender. Holy Spirit, let me be filled with this peace. Let me know what it's like to trust my God enough that I understand that he's bigger when life, bigger than the life situations that are bigger than me. And you know, as we start to move into our, our communion time, which is what we're going to do now, if our servers would please go and prepare to serve. The reason why it's so appropriate that we come to communion every week and why I like to end sermons on it is because it draws us to the fact of why we can have peace and why we can have hope. Uh, I was trying to think this week as I was driving, like if I was one of Jesus's apostles or his disciples, you know, and, and I spent years with the guy and then I watched him get killed, And then I actually saw him rise from the dead. Like, I've heard that a lot, but I tried to, like, put myself, like, there. Like, what if this guy that was one of my good friends, who I believed was the Savior, what if I saw him die, like, beaten, there's no doubt that he was dead, and then just days later I see him totally alive. I see him take life back into his hands. Like, would I be able, how much easier would it be for me to see, okay, he's defeated death, I have not I'm going to follow that guy, and I'm going to trust that guy with everything in me. I'm going to, it would be much easier to trust my kids to that guy who has already defeated death, saying, okay, you, you can defeat the thing I'm scared of most, so I'm going to get behind you rather than try to depend on my own strength. And what we do when we take communion is we kind of draw ourselves back to the fact that Jesus is the one who has defeated death. The, the cracker... And the juice that you'll find in these two-stack cups, they remind us that he faced a terrible, brutal death, and he gave everything to pay for our sin. But we do not worship a God who is dead. We worship a Savior who is risen and alive. He faced the enemy that we fear most, and he defeated it. And so we can take communion having hope that even though uh, life is bigger and we face all these scary and terrible things, we've got an amazing champion of a Savior on our side, and we can trust him with absolutely anything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time uh, to learn. This is a, a hard lesson, and um, it's almost an unbelievable lesson. And I, uh, I pray that we would trust you more. Um, I hope that we don't have to be in the middle of something terrible before we learn to trust you. I pray that we would be people who uh, don't feel that this is just a fairy tale type of faith, but that we would understand that you are so good and so powerful and so strong and so trustworthy and so good that when life throws something terrible our way, man, we, we should know that, that you are incredibly good and incredibly trustworthy and that you can handle the things that scare us to death. So let us know that this isn't fake. This isn't just sentiment. This isn't just nice, kind words that, that sound good on a coffee mug or on a t-shirt or on a screensaver. But this is a truth. That even in situations that, that it doesn't make any sense to have any sort of peace, in situations where it doesn't make sense to have anything but fear and despair or anger, that you You can give us peace. And I think the way we find that peace is by completely trusting you, surrendering that we can't handle life, but you can. Help us to let go of that control, that desire for control, because we never had it anyway. Help us to trust in your capable hands to to take care of us and those we love, to lead us to eternity, and to guide us in, in paths of righteousness for your good namesake. Lord, we love you. Help us to trust you with the kind of trust that leads to the fruit of peace. Thank you for Jesus who died and defeated sin and death, our greatest enemies, so that we don't have to be scared of those things anymore. And so I pray that we would look to Jesus as our hope for salvation and as our peace in this world. And we pray all this in his good and holy name. Amen.